So hi everyone, welcome to Encounter. I feel quite nervous about this, um, probably for two reasons. Firstly, it's just a bit weird sitting here um, on my own in a room staring at the back of a video camera rather than being able to talk to everyone in person or not even on a Zoom screen. And secondly, the, the passage of scripture I'm, I'm going to be speaking from today is really quite a controversial one. It's one we often find quite difficult. But I think sometimes we shouldn't run away from those because those the, the, those difficult passages probably represent some of the conflict points between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And maybe we need to explore them for exactly that reason. But um, we're going to start with something um, a bit easier. We're going to start with a story. It's a story of Jesus. Um, it's, it's the week between Palm Sunday and, and Easter. Jesus is in the temple. Expectations are high. There are crowds all around him and he's teaching. And um, in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 15, this happens. Um, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? At this point, Jesus' disciples must have been getting really worried. Um, they were worried from the moment these people started to walk up because the Pharisees and the Herodians were sworn enemies. Um, they lived in a society where sort of that was riven with, ident with identity politics. And these two were at opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, the Pharisees, they were religious populists. They were kind of respected by the people. They were very strict about the religious laws and they were they were kind of nationalists. The Herodians, on the other hand, um, they supported King Herod, who ruled the Jewish nation but was not a Jew. Um, he was sort of a Roman lackey, but he built a temple. He'd given them a degree of sort of national identity underneath the Roman system. And because of that, the Herodians supported him. Um, the Pharisees could not disagree with this more. So normally they were at each other's throats. You wouldn't even see them in the same room. So when you see them coming as a joint delegation, that's like seeing a, a joint delegation of Liberal Democrats and UKIP arriving. This isn't going to end well. Um, secondly, the Pharisees start being nice to Jesus and calling him good teacher, which they never normally do. And then they ask this killer question, taxes to Caesar, should we pay them or shouldn't we? Knowing full well that he cannot win. What they're basically asking him to do is to pick and to agree with one or other side of the the culture war that they are in, of the identity politics debate that they represent. And if he says, yeah, go ahead, pay the taxes, um, the Pharisees will be able to say, you don't have our nation's interest at heart. You don't follow the law of Moses. What kind of teacher are you? If on the other hand, other hand, he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar. He's a a, you know, a godless pagan ruler, the Herodians will have him arrested for breaking Roman law. So it's a trap and he can't win. Except, of course, what Jesus actually does, um, verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. They came to Jesus asking him to pick an identity, to pick sides in their culture war. But he forced them to recognise something more important, to recognise an image. 
In this case, the image on the coin is Caesar's image. The coin is Caesar's, so give the coin to Caesar. Yeah, it represents an economical and political system that is made by human beings. It's purely a human system. So give the coin in accordance with that system. But now look at yourselves. On you, there is a different identity. You are people made in the image of God. And so that coin, that value in your life, you give that in its entirety to God because it is, it is his. God created you. Your life belongs to him. So, yeah, give the coin to Caesar, but give the whole of your life, all of what you have, all of what you are to God. That, that, that is a far bigger thing because the image of God within you is far more important than the image on any coin. Really interesting, that difference between image and identity. We are all created in the image of God. But the fact is that we are not born with our identity in Christ. In fact, we're not born with an identity at all. Identity is something that we, we seek for, we reach out for, we try and create through the whole of our lives. We are born without identity. So we immediately go on a journey of finding identity. And that journey goes like this. It, start, it starts with actions. What do I do? Those actions become habits. What do I do repeatedly? Those habits eventually become values and those values over time finally lead to different aspects of our identity. So it starts with I do something and it feels good. So I do it again and again and it becomes a habit so that I might constantly feel good. And eventually I get into my head that if, if it feels good, it must be good. So my habits start to form my values. And then finally, because this is good, that is who I am. So those values start to form our identity. When we come to Jesus, that whole set of human identities that have been formed through that process, that journey, if you like, throughout our lives, are completely changed and they are completely challenged. Um, we're going to go now to Colossians chapter 3 which really talks about this. And I came to this passage because of one verse in the middle. But it's always good to look what's on both sides of that, isn't it? And as I started looking on both sides of that, just really felt the spirit start to unpack some really important stuff about identity. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, um, starting at the beginning. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So when we give our lives to Jesus, when we experience salvation for ourselves, when we die with him and are raised with him, our old identity goes and a new identity comes. That new identity being in Christ. It says, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him. Your life is now hidden in Christ. So everything that we are, our heart, our minds, our feelings, our thoughts, our very lives are now in Christ. They belong to Christ. They are in heaven. They are hidden with Christ. That is the source of our identity. It's where everything, heart, mind, body and life, now come from and originate from. It's a complete transformation that is worked in salvation. Jesus has my heart, he has my mind, he has my life. 
And because of that, our old actions that previously formed our identity now lose their connection with our new identity and values, and they cease to hold sway. And in fact, it says this from verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So we have this incredible picture of our old actions are no longer connected to our new identity in Christ. And in fact, our new identity starts to shine a light on our old actions. And we sense a need to take them off because these things that previously drove the core of our identity, who we were, we now realise that is not who we have become. And we start to turn our back on those things to take off those things. And then we get to this verse 11, which in one verse just cuts to the heart of all the things in which the world finds its identity, in which the people around us, the culture around us, finds our identity. And of course, that was exactly the same in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, when these were written. It says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. These are really powerful sources of identity, aren't they? Greek or Jew, that's about racial identity, about finding our identity or seeing ourselves in terms of our race and our ethnicity. It's about circumcised or uncircumcised, that's religious identity. That's finding our, our identity in our, in our religion and what we've been taught in that sense. And let's not kid ourselves. It's possible to have a religious identity that is kind of pretty disconnected from whether or not you are saved and whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. Just think back to Northern Ireland and the Troubles. Pe people very clearly identified as, I am a Protestant or a Catholic, that is my religion. And then they would go out and they would fight and they would hate and even they would blow up and kill, supposedly in the names of those religious identities. So even supposedly Christian religious identity can be completely at odds with what it means to truly find your identity in Christ. Um, barbarian or Scythian, that's cultural identity. Um, barbarians kind of meant non-Greeks and they were thought of as culturally inferior. And, and Scythians were, were the kind of, you, you know, the, the, they were the primitives right on the edges of the society, the edges of, of society, the edges of empire, if you like. Um, you know, sort of good Jews, good Greeks would have thought of themselves as inherently culturally superior. And Paul, who has all of those reasons to feel that superiority, he's a Roman citizen, he's a Jew um, by, by upbringing. He, he says there is no longer those things. We cannot find our identity um, in, the, in those aspects of our culture. And in fact, we are, regardless of where we come from, we all now share the same identity in Jesus. And slave or free, those are the, the class distinctions, the class identities of their day. They, they are the, um, the, the wealth and status distinctions identities of their day. And they're still hugely important to us today, aren't they? And what Paul is saying, that identity in Jesus cuts right across all of that. That can no longer be where you find your identity. If, if you feel you have that sense of 
resentment from being at the bottom of the pile or that sense of superiority from being at the top of the pile, that can no longer be your identity. Wherever you are in that, um, your identity is now in Christ. And in fact, something even more amazing than that happens. As we start to challenge and lay off all those identities that we've built up in ourselves, all those identities that the world has either given to us or forced upon us, um, the journey that we that we looked at, the journey from actions to, to habits, to values, to identity, that now goes into reverse. Our new identity in Jesus starts to drive our values. Our values start to drive our actions and our actions start to form new habits. And they are the most amazing habits. They are the habits of a person born again in Jesus. Verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that reverse journey now starts to flow back from that secure and solid and certain identity that we now have in Christ. And it starts to change and transform the whole of the rest of our lives. Yes, we have been saved at that moment when we gave our lives to Jesus. Salvation has been worked for us in that moment that Jesus died on the cross. But salvation is a process of allowing that new identity we have in Christ to change the whole of our lives. Um, what are the characteristics of that new identity? Their compassion, their kindness, their humility, their gentleness, their patience, their forgiveness for one another. Have you ever noticed that the, the, the identities that people adopt, um, the kind of culture wars that we have, are incredibly unforgiving towards one another? And yet identity in Christ brings forgiveness. Um, identity in Christ brings love. Um, the Bible says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That love and unity is an essential character of what it means to have your identity in Christ. Um, it talks about peace and that's not just the, an inner peace. It is also peace between ourselves. It's the peace that comes from being united as one body. Um, the identities that we find in the world so often bring us into conflict. We say racial conflict, we see gender conflict, we see class conflict. All those, all those identities lead to conflict. And yet when we share an identity in Christ, we are truly one body and we are reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. When the reverse journey happens, we learn thankfulness and we become people of the word and people of worship. Um, we, we encourage, we rebuke, we teach one another with all wisdom um, as the word of Christ dwells in us richly. And we sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to become. We become people of the word and people whose life is characterised by worship because that is now our identity. And then we move on to these 
these verses from verse 18. I'm just going to read out Colossians 3.18 to you and you'll realise what a flashpoint this is. Colossians 3 verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. And there's something in us, in our in our modern liberal democratic society, that just immediately that causes some of our hackles to rise, doesn't it? Um, we don't get this teaching. We cannot accept it. We just It just doesn't feel like it's in line with our understanding of God. It doesn't feel like it's our, in our understanding of what's right. And that's because our, we look at these verses through the lenses of the identities that we have acquired in, in, in our in our sort of in our culture and the identities that the world tries to give us or force upon us. You will only ever understand these verses. You will only ever get the life-giving truth that comes out of these verses if you see them through, through the lens of that reverse journey, that they all start in the identity that we have in Christ and they all flow back into how that changes our lives. It changes our thinking and it changes our relationship. So these first two verses, wives submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What that's saying is let your relationships as men and women, as male and female, as man and wife, let that be changed and transformed by your shared identity in Jesus Christ. And then the Bible teaches, doesn't it? Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission, rather than an act of surrender in the battle of the sexes, an act of making yourself vulnerable to exploitation or abuse, it now becomes an incredible, incredibly beautiful expression of what it means for you to share that identity in Christ with each other. You submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, the, the call to love one another becomes a call to love not in, in the ways that we would describe love, but as Christ loved his church, as God so loved the world, that expression of love which is completely self-sacrificing, that would lay down its life for the other, that becomes possible when our identity in Christ starts to transform our relational identities, our gender identities. And then, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is about self-identity and it's about power relationships, isn't it? Huge flashpoints in our society. Starting with children, you know, right from when our children are young, that they are told that they have to find and form their own identity. Um, it's the central message of every Disney film. And look, I'm, I'm the father of two daughters. I have watched a lot of Disney princess films. And I can tell you that the basic message of every one of those films is the same. It's do your own thing, be your own person, don't let anyone else tell you what to do, find your own identity. Um, this is saying something completely different to that. It's saying you do not have to go out and struggle to find your own identity. You do not have to fight to protect that in the fragility of growing from a child to a, a young adult and struggling with all the confusion of who am I, what is my identity. You can learn as a child, you can grow into as a young person, that security, that assurance that comes from knowing that my identity is in Jesus. I'm a precious child of God and he loves me and he has a plan for me and he cares for me and he has the best for me and he has made me beautiful and precious and unique. And when that is your identity and you have that security, this need to assert I've got my own identity and no one else can tell me what to do, it just fades away in the light that is Jesus. And you know, fathers, do not embitter your children. Um, so often we feel, you know, I've got to be the head of the household. As a parent, I've got to bring up my children right. I've got to do the right thing. And that, that 
the vulnerability that comes from feeling I've got to exert that authority cause it to be exercised harshly um, when we know that in fact all authority comes from submission to Jesus and when that's our identity we are able to exercise the same authority of Christ a loving authority not to not to exercise authority in the home in the form of of patriarchy but to exercise authority in the home in in the form of the father in the story of the prodigal son one who loves his child whose heart is for his child that that kind of fatherhood that is always reaching out always drawing back always seeking reconciliation always bringing humility not judgment that's the place that we can come slaves obey your earthly masters in everything what and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. People in that society, and in more subtle ways, people in our society, and sometimes pretty explicit ways in our society, we're caught up in those understandings of class identity, wealth and status identity, and power identity, aren't we? Um, slaves felt that they had every right to resent their masters because they were at the bottom of the pile and it wasn't fair. And masters felt they had every right to do whatever they wanted to, to and with their slaves, because they were their possessions, they were at the top of the pile, they could do what they like. These scriptures say that when your identity is in Christ, not in your class, not in your wealth, not in your status, that completely turns this on its head. Even if you are in the position of being the bottom of the social pyramid, then you are no longer subjected to that. If you live your life as an act of worship to Jesus, serving out of that desire to serve Christ faithfully, then ultimately no one can subordinate you because the reason you are doing the right thing is not because you are being forced into it, but because of a choice of what you do. And you know that ultimately you receive great inheritance and reward from what Christ. And masters who are told to give their slaves what is right and fair, what? Slaves have rights? Slaves have a right to expect something that is fair? I can't do what I like? No, you can't because you also have a master in heaven. And in fact, any authority that you have only comes from the fact that you're in submission to Christ. So you are called to live your life as an act of worship and submission to Jesus in exactly the same as those that society would call your servants have. So you also no longer derive your identity from your class, your status or your wealth. You now derive it only from Jesus. And that might take you down a peg or two in the eyes of the world. But it actually gives you freedom from guilt and um, freedom to serve Christ in fullness. So... We live in a society that increasingly revolves around identity, culturally, politically, psychologically and morally. The key questions of our generation, our society and our era are what do you identify with or what do you self-identify as? We see that as so important. And verse 17 says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we are called to be people for whom Jesus is our identity. It's time for us to radically and openly and transparently adopt followers of Jesus as our whole identity and our, and our only identity. And when we do that, people might not be interested in our arguments, 
they might not be interested in our opinions and our beliefs because they basically believe that everyone's entitled to their own opinions and beliefs. So what I think doesn't really affect them. I've got my beliefs and opinions, they've got theirs. They think that's fine. But actually we all care a lot about people's identities, who they are, what they stand for, what do they self-identify as? That's a question that's constantly on our lips. And because of that, when our identity is in Jesus, that will communicate the gospel to a nation, that, to a, a generation that primarily listens and hears through identity. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are saved and because of that, our identity is found in you. We can have complete assurance that you are our new identity. And we don't have to struggle to discover our identity or work out what we self-identify as or to work out our relationships in the light of our identities because we have your identity and that changes our lives. It changes our values, our actions. It changes who we are and it brings us back into that image of God in which we are originally formed, which had become marred. But now we can find fullness of when our identity is in Christ. Help us to live each day more and more in the fullness of our identity and in doing so help us to communicate your identity the truth of who you are the glory of a person fully alive in christ to a world that desperately wants to know and understand amen